thank you for joining us on the Blind Stigma podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm Dr. Natasha Williams. And I'm Stacey Ann Buchanan. Thank you so much for joining us today. So this episode, this episode, Ms. Natasha Penny Cook. Now, that name. I know. Oh, I know. That doesn't name. It, doesn't, oh, doesn't like ring royalty. I yes. <laughs> I, I just crossed my legs as you said her name. I'm like, I'm like let me. Let yes. Me, that's that's <laughs> let pose. Just, let me pose right? up with that name. Right. No, this uh, she's an amazing psychotherapist. But as we get to hear her personal professional journey, I think it's going to really impact a lot of our listeners. So let's get a little bit of information about her. So Natasha Penny Cook is a registered psychotherapist with the College of Registered Psychotherapists of Ontario. She has a master's degree in counseling psychology from the University of the West Indies, Cave Hill. In her practice as a psychotherapist, speaker, and consultant, she helps high-achieving women and men struggling with self-doubt from trauma, anxiety, and depression to heal, thrive, and live the life they deserve. Her work is guided from an anti-oppressive healing-focused, trauma-informed, and anti-black racism lens to unpack and challenge Eurocentric practices, systemic oppression, and generational traumas that have been detrimental to racialized communities. In over 10 years as a psychotherapist, she has learned to take her hardest experiences and turn them into opportunities for growth. She's also discovered that all humans have a desire to be loved, appreciated, valued, accepted, and understood. But sometimes life experiences and different types of trauma can lead to fear, self-doubt, and nervousness. She has presented at a number of international and national psychology conferences, and she's been sought after for her expertise on mental health, trauma, and healing and has spoken at various community and corporate events across the Toronto area, Canada, and the world. She is also one of the founding members and current vice chair of the Association of Black Psychologists, the Toronto chapter. She is also the mental health advisor of Keep Six organization, and she is a member of the Canadian Psychological Association. One of her quotes is going to be, or one of her, I guess, her life, her life purposes is that she says, after we work together, whether through individual psychotherapy, corporate workshop, clinical consultation, or community support, you'll be able to understand the source of your fears, recognize the warning signs, and challenge yourself to become comfortable with the uncomfortable. Are you ready to begin your healing journey? Oh, 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 oh. And that leads me into the perfect quote I have from Miss Natasha Pennycook. Okay. It goes, that ugly part of your story you're living through right now is going to be one of the most powerful parts of your testimony. Absolutely. That, to me, wraps her up in such a way. Um, and once you hear what she has to say and what her journey has been, that quote is going to even resound even stronger. Amen. So let's let's listen into what Natasha Pennycook has to say. Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. 
This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. Thank you so much for joining us on the Blind Stigma Podcast. Great. It's such a pleasure to be here. Great. So, you know what? Let's dive in. We are just going to dive in right now, Natasha, and I'm okay. just going to I'm just going to ask you if you could please tell us your journey as a psychotherapist. Okay. Uh this is a interesting question. I always always think of like how do I answer this question? And I think on the many different um platforms that I've been on lately talking about this, it's always been a little bit different, but I guess my journey into being a psychotherapist and studying psychology definitely starts at my childhood. So I have, um, my childhood was a childhood that I say that was filled of a lot of, a lot of trauma. And it's interesting because I specialize in trauma. I'm primarily a trauma therapist. So my childhood from the time of being little, as far back as I can remember was in a household that was full of um, yelling and screaming and hitting. And my father was an alcoholic. He used to come home drunk and be drunk a lot of the times. And that also meant that he was very, very much physically abusive as well to myself and to my mother and um, just, just being in that household, right? So what that means is that it was full of so much uncertainty, Right. And and the not really knowing, not really being sure of what was next and what was to come and and all of it. So I guess my journey into the career path that I chose was really much out of trying to figure out the why. Right. Trying to figure out those those nitty gritties of of personality and human behavior, why people end up doing what they do and um and people's vulnerabilities, right? And and the things that make people tick and the relationships that people have or don't have and how that really has an impact on them. Because knowing from the household that I grew up in, um, very much had an impact on me and on who I, who I am today and how I present myself today, right? Um, and very interesting in that, that going through a lot of the experiences and situations in early life that I did, in that my father being alcohol, an alcoholic and physically abusive, on the other side, my mom was very much um, ignored the emotionality of that, right? Um, my mom very much the individual was like, be strong, suck it up, and go on and go, go forward. Um, so very much understanding how those experiences shape my life and shape the, the work that I do. So I guess um, going into my field, into, into studying psychology, all my degrees are in psychology, it was, um, it was both a career choice, but also a saving grace. Because, yes, yes, because going through the, the courses and the classes and the different um, programs, coursework that I had to do, it wasn't only so much recognizing the the personality and the behavior of individual, but also understanding myself better, right? Really getting to that area of if I'm going to be able to do this work, I have to first and foremost understand me. Right. right? 
This yeah. is actually really interesting, Natasha, because mm-hmm. um, what I was going to ask, and it was sort of foraying into the second question, but I could see how they mm-hmm. can both bleed into one another. My second, right. my second question was talking about how has your personal life impacted or influenced your professional journey? So mm-hmm. you're actually you're actually really getting into this. I think what I would love for you, if you don't mind sharing with our audience, mm-hmm. is yeah. I, I can understand getting to the place where you're studying and sort of, you know, mm-hmm. getting more mm-hmm. self-reflective mm-hmm. as you mm-hmm. are studying. Studying. But can mm-hmm. we take it even a step back in terms of being mm-hmm. in that household and in that environment? How were you able to cope, understand what was going on? And, and how did it impact you in terms of your own mental health, even before getting mm-hmm. to a place where you can then even study and, and, and actually be the healer in the in the mm-hmm. community? So how did it impact you personally in terms of your own self-awareness? mental health and, 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 you know, sustaining or maintaining your mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that the role that I took on early was always that, um, I guess that helper, that protector, that fix it role right, right. that I know a lot of us within this helping profession um, has fragments of. But I think for me, it was very much that I have a younger sister. So it was like always trying to protect her or protect or protect my mom or protect the situation and being able to to help or to fix. But in that helping and fixing, as I mentioned, um, my mom not really focusing on emotions or not really having that emotional intelligence education. It was a lot of times then the, the self dismissiveness of, of how hard it was right. of the, re, of the of emotional reality of, of the fear of growing up in, in such a, um, a toxic household. Right. Um, so I guess for me and my own mental health now looking back Right now, having the the wherewithal and the education, all of it to understand and looking back, I definitely see how anxiety was always, always um, a struggle for me. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and as we know about anxiety, especially the fears, the uncertainty, the lack of control, that that was literally my life. Um, so definitely being able to understand now that the, the anxiety and the fear um, that I had experienced, how it had impacted me then, but not knowing it then, right? Not, in, not, not having, having the vocabulary name. then, right. not having a name done, not having an understanding, not having anyone to, to flesh it out. Right. Right. And then a lot of the stuff that comes along with, um, with child abuse and things like that is the, the questioning of the self, the not feeling good enough, the feeling inadequate, all of, all of this, all of those, yes. um, pieces. So I think that um, being able to understand that now of how did I, what was your question, like address the situation or how did I was able to be in that situation? It was, it was survival, right? right? It's like how to get through the day to day today. How do I make sure that I'm okay Mm-hmm. Not from a mental health side or not from an emotional side, but just making sure that I'm okay right. to do the next step. 
and I, I like the, I like the way you use the term survival because it also sounds like you know you had and correct me if I'm wrong a mother mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. was sort of exemplifying you know the black uh, you know super uh. superwoman syndrome yeah. you know trying to make strong black woman yes. syndrome right yes. where yes. you devoid the emotionality of everything or the emotion just so mm-hmm. that you could survive and it's not about thriving it is simply right. about survival exactly so what's exactly. The, and, and that, and once you have that example and you don't have the emotional vocab that we, right. that we do now, once you study, you just think that this is all normal and that all you got to yeah. do is go and survive. Right. Right. So, exactly. Exactly. You, and it's interesting that you said that because that is how a lot of individuals are raised with that idea of, of that strong black woman, of that mother that has to just, that just take it and go, right. Just, Whatever's there, just go with it and being strong with it and just continuing on. Yeah. And that's literally what I saw. And that's literally what I understood. Um, number, like my parents have been divorced and married and divorced and remarried and divorced oh, geez. and back together. <laughs> wow. Right. I, yes. Yes. So, and it's interesting because even in those, those divorces and separations, the getting back together for my mom and from my understanding was always about being able to provide, right? Being able to provide from a monetary standpoint, educational standpoint, home life standpoint um, to myself and my sister. So it was all about, it was all about you as the kids in terms of getting back together. Yes, exactly. And, And not so much about the woman, the mother, right? Not so much as what is it that I need to do to make sure that I am okay and healthy in a relationship? But how do I provide now for my children? And as you mentioned about being that strong woman and strong black woman, it's very much the idea of not, not looking so much at the emotional side of it, but looking so much as the, uh, the other stuff. I'm not saying the other stuff are not important, right? Because housing is very important and, and having the money for education, all that's very, very important. But a lot of times we don't look at the other sides. That's true. Of, of the impact that the other sides are also having. Right. Right. So I, I find that very interesting now being, being an adult, being also a mother, being a woman, um, being a professional, being able to sit in that and understand the sacrifice that's in that as well. And it's also, and it's also the, the, as you're talking, I'm realizing that a lot of this is, is, is generational, transgenerational yes, trauma. It is. And, yes. And, and we are, we were, we were taught to, to, to kind of like keep it all in, keep it all in, yeah. you know, yeah. um, suck we it can up. Just, we, yeah, yeah, suck it up. We can push mm-hmm. through, we can get through this, but it's also mm-hmm. detrimental on our mental health and 100%. on our kids' mental health because yes. you're, you're teaching the next generation yes. that this is how you have to handle. This is what strength right. means. And I yes. am such an advocate for mm-hmm. for for mm-hmm. for dismantling mm-hmm. that whole stigma of strength yes. in our community, where it's like it's how much you can carry, and it's no, your strength is, no. is how much you what you decide to put down. Mm. You know, yeah, and exactly. and I'm, and I and I'm a true advocate for that. So as you're ta- speaking, I'm like. This this is generational trauma. It is. This, it is. This as a parent too. Mm-hmm. This my my goal is to is to make that mm-hmm. stop within me, and that yes. my daughter understand that it's okay to vocalize. It's okay yes. for you to share your emotions, and it's it's so beautiful to see how you have taken that pain 
that pain that you've mm-hmm. gone through as a as a as a little girl and and transform it into your purpose, mm-hmm. you know, and into mm-hmm. your power. So mm-hmm. I will let Natasha continue. Take that. Oh, <laughs> Natasha, like, yes, yes, yes. No, I, I I thoroughly appreciate that, and I and I yeah. think you know definitely yeah. we you know we it's only now we're using the term transgenerational trauma. Yes. It's yes. been around so, for so, so long, long, but it's almost like yeah. it's, it's receiving some extra impact or extra recognition now, especially during these times. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think mm-hmm. once we recognize more and more as a community that yes. this is what is happening, then we have mm-hmm. the tools and the power to actually not only just survive, but to thrive as exactly. a community, right? Exactly. So we get to exactly. change, we change what is going on instead of just accepting that this is the status quo or the norm or or whatever the case may be right yeah and it's been very important part of my journey to be able to look at the at the generations within my family not only um, my parents generation but the multi-generations and the multi-generational trauma that has been part of me and my existence today Right. right because we all we all sit on the backs of our ancestors and looking at the ancestors within my generation, it's really the understanding of how it got to be. Mm-hmm. And then understanding in the how it got to be for me now with my family and my child, it's the I understand how it got to be, but I also understand my place in knowing that it does not have to be anymore. Mm. Right. So yes. it puts me in that position now to say, this is what I went through. I will not stand for that to be the lived experience of my child going forward. That's right. That's right. It, mm-hmm. it, the buck does stop with us, right? right? Yes, we don't have yes. to, we don't have to accept no. things no. as as status quo or norm or whatever the case may be going right. forward, right? So I think right. I, I love that you that you really um, are taking that mantle on and making sure that mm-hmm. we can break some of these generational curses Absolutely. that have been right. impacting our community for such a long period of time. Right. Can I also ask you, Natasha, in regards mm-hmm. to your own emotional work? Because you know we've mm-hmm. talked we've talked about it from a um, you know, physical, you know, you just keep on going, go, go, go. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have the, or you did not have the um, emotional language or vocabulary mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Did you have to do your own work? Um, and what did that look like for you? Did it look like, was it actually part of your study that you became more aware or did you actually mm-hmm. do your own healing work from an emotional standpoint? What did that journey look like for you? So I guess the short of that is yes, 100% absolutely had to do my own work. So it's interesting, right? Because um, I was actually thinking about this today in terms of my own work and my own my own therapy journey, not only as a therapist, but um, but sitting on the other side That's of the right. desk, as I say. That's right. Um, right. It's interesting because I remember one of my first, first experiences was when my mother took me to see, I don't know if a psychologist or a counselor or a social worker or a therapist, but I went, my mom took me, I don't know how old I was. I remember it was probably after one of the divorces. <laughs> um, one. <laughs> one of, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's sad to say, but that's my reality, right? right, right. Uh, <laughs> one, one of them to see someone. And I always remember, I always remember this, that this was a white male. Oh, that I went to see as a young black girl, mm. right? And it's interesting that a work I do now and speaking a lot about um, racial trauma and anti-black racism and working very much from anti-black racism lens. And I think even that experience, not knowing them, but really shaped 
the way I I am and that I practice and even the even the seeking my own yes. therapy and my own help, right? So I remember that experience very vaguely where it was this white male asking me these questions and I remember feeling so uncomfortable and unsafe. Wow. Um, yes, I remember. Wow. And that's like the, it's funny because even, and again, this could have been easily, I don't know, I'm dating myself here, maybe 30 years ago. Right. But it's so interesting that I could remember like the table, the chair, the, the white shirt he was wearing, like wow. these 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 um these memories of that experience and it just goes to show how how experiences of going for therapy how it's so important that that therapeutic relationship and how fit is so vital that's right so all that to say is that in my grad school practice i have a, a master's in counseling psychology and i did my clinical practice in jamaica at the university hospital I had an absolute phenomenal supervisor, um, Dr. Kai Morgan, and yes, she was very, very much an advocate. She's amazing. Oh. She is absolutely, she changed the way I viewed the world of psychology from the, from the Freuds, the Adlers, the Jungs. And then I had Dr. Morgan as what? clinical psychologist, mm. head of, head of the psych department at the university hospital president of Jamaican Psych Association and my supervisor. I'm just like, she okay. Is, she's this, a force. I this, remember meeting her. Yes. Yeah. She's absolutely phenomenal. And like seeing her made me be like, okay, I can do this my way. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I think that speaks to then the representation. Um, but anyway, she was the one while I was doing my supervision, she was like, you know what, to be in this field, it's so important to do your own work because this work is heavy. And if you don't do your own work, you will be triggered constantly just from the population that I was working with in Jamaica at the time. So she gave me a list of different individuals uh, to call. And me being me, I literally called everyone oh, and, and interviewed them, right? <laughs> Why, why is that not surprising? <laughs> not surprising, right? For those, for those of you who know me out there, this is like not surprising at all, at all. So I had like a, I had like, you know, my clipboard, a series of questions I had from each one that I was able to go through and find which one fit mm -hmm. for me. And then I found um, uh, a woman that I'm still, that I still actually work with today. Um, her name is Tammy, not to disclose anything else. Uh, and she is a clinical psychologist. Um, it's just so much fit. There was so much fit in terms of her, her past and her, um, the way she works and her practice and the things that, that, and I guess um, not the things that she's seen, but where she works and how she works and how she practices. Um, for me at the time, especially being born and raised Canadian, but then studying in Jamaica with a Jamaican father, Barbadian mother, all of that, I needed, I need someone who understood the cultural dynamics. Yes, right. Right. And having, having that as a fit and, and also representation is so important in in therapy, it's so important when seeking therapy. It's so important when providing therapy. Right. So, um, so yeah. So I definitely did my own work. It was it was hard and it was challenging and stirred stirred the pot, as I said, where all the dumplings floated up. <laughs> 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 okay. Okay. 
<laughs> right but I mean so so necessary mm-hmm. so necessary so I remember there would be times in Jamaica um working in the day seeing my clients and then in the afternoon going to see going to see my therapist so yes the work the work is there the work I've done the work I continue to do right it's yes. it's one of those things where um where for me I see it's very necessary and especially especially doing the trauma work and the type of trauma work that I see and the type of individuals um, whom I work with, I see the constant need to have that own personal check-in with someone to unpack things or to go through different situations that are triggering. It's, it's very important. Absolutely. Yes. You know what I'm loving? And I just mm-hmm. wanted to highlight two things I think that I think mm-hmm. um, we, we really have to put out there. First mm-hmm. and foremost, that your mother even had the wherewithal to bring you to a therapist. Mm-hmm. Because think about it as a black, right. as a, right. as a black woman, a black yep. mother, and especially yes. if we're talking mm-hmm. about this whole superwoman, black su- yes. superwoman complex, yes. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. strong black woman. Yes. Usually yep. the last thing that we're doing is actually right. going to, to therapy. To therapy. Mm-hmm. Mentioning that at home. Mentioning mm-hmm. it or even bringing mm-hmm. your child to that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That's, mm-hmm. The, that's the first thing I want to highlight because I was yeah. like, that's, that sounds very different. Something that I, I'm very yes. amazed that your mom did. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. I can understand the fit wasn't right and whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. I completely mm-hmm. understand that. But just mm-hmm. that step for her right. to even yes. a, acknowledge yes. something was not right and yes. looking for the resources to address it versus a lot of times what we do in our community mm-hmm. is, you know, your business must stay in the four walls of your house. Right. And, and that's yeah. it. So I'm yeah. very impressed that your, mm-hmm. your mother had mm-hmm. the, you know, had the wherewithal to actually say something is up we need to seek some kind of assistance and it needs to be mental health assistance versus you know something that was medical or whatever the case may be the second thing I just wanted to highlight as well (laughs) and what you what you brought up to the surface is and what we've been talking about a lot on this show has been the representation of us in the mental health field and to see Mm -hmm. that when you spoke about Dr. Kai Morgan Mm -hmm. um, to actually see a black woman in yeah. that position holds yeah. so much power I think so much for power, our yeah. community so yeah. you know I'm always an advocate of we need more of us in the field Absolutely. but to mm-hmm. imagine just to see her and also mm-hmm. she wasn't your therapist she's not your therapist she's your supervisor no, no she was my supervisor but, yes but it still has such healing properties just to oh, for see sure. somebody in that position who looks like you i may never utter a word to you or we may not be in a therapeutic relationship but seeing someone from the community in the field is healing in and of itself so just your pres that just dr kai morgan's presence oh yeah in and of itself is is healing so i just wanted to highlight those two things because i think those two things really have so much power yeah, and I think to to speak to your first to both points, but to your first point, my mother did try, right? I can't sit here and say she didn't, mm. because I remember there was times when she would say, "Oh, your father and I, we have to go to counseling. We have to try to figure this out for you girls." And da 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 da, right? So there was effort there to even go for uh, for couples sessions and mediation and, and things like that. Um, 
you know, so like those efforts were there. But again, as I think as um, as uh, Dr. Natasha and Stacey both mentioned, there is that stigma around the, oh, we have to keep it in the house. We can't bring it to anybody. We can't yep. air our dirty laundry. And there's all of that. Right. So I don't um, I don't know how those sessions went um for both of them, but I mean, just the idea of having the wherewithal to try to understand that that help is needed—that that's a big one, right? Yes. And then, um, and then, yes, the representation is so so important, and especially, um, especially for myself, I left Canada to go do my masters in the Caribbean, specifically looking for representation, right? Specifically knowing that. All my professors during my undergrad education were all um, were all non people of color, so it was so important for me to get education from individuals that looked like me because learning. So in my in my undergrad, my specialization is in culture psychology, and even learning about culture psychology, I was always the other in the room. I was being taught how to be the 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 psychologist, the therapist, whatever you want to call it, but I was always the other in terms of the ethnic um, culture that we were being taught to work with, mm-hmm. right? So um, it was very deliberate going to the Caribbean to pursue my education to look for people who looked like me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Natasha, um, can I mm-hmm. ask you? As we can, as we flow into this, can I ask you how um, we can change the stigma in our community? How are ways that we can change the stigma? Yeah, that's a great question, right? And I think one of the biggest answers to that is what we're doing right now, having these conversations. I think that the stigma is there because of the fear. The fear of judgment, the fear of rejection, the fear of the unknown, the fear of... Um, being out of control, the idea that mental health has been primarily thought of as associated with Obia or the madman yeah. at the corner. Yeah, thank right? you. Yes, Good. yes. And, I, and I trust just, me. I'm sorry, I just want to get the <laughs> yes. kettle drum and just beat that drum. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. You are welcome. Or, or drink the tea. Drink the tea <laughs> yes, and read yes, the Bible. Yes, and, and there's yes, no way am I denouncing. Natasha, Dr. Natasha, you know, I'm not denouncing my religion, my Christianity. I, like, But like, why can't we say if there is a doctor, if we can go to the doctor when we break her leg, scrape her leg for diabetes, heart, like pressure, like blood pressure. Why can't we go to a doctor for our minds? If, if the physical is there, why can't we say, OK, you know what? We need help, too, for our mental as well. So thank you for saying that. And, and my apologies for interrupting. No, I'm not going to apologize because we needed to beat that drum. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. I will you, you see? The one word obia. And then all of a sudden all of a sudden we go into some praise dance and moves. Yes. 
<laughs> but you know what? It's so interesting because especially my clinical training being in Jamaica uh, at the, what was it? The Department of Psychiatry in Jamaica. That's exactly what it was, right? And I, I would see inpatients and outpatients. So it was always that, especially with the ones that were outpatients, being worried to come in. And the stigma even around, I mean, we're talking about mental health and we're talking about the stigma. So think about this in Jamaica. The, the, um, the psychology and the psychiatry ward in Jamaica is literally situated at the back of the building, hmm. right? So hmm. in order to get there, for to go to your appointments, you're either walking through the hospital or you're walking around the hospital to come around. Anyone seeing you past a certain, I think it was radiology. I remember walking through. So it's like, we'd walk through the whole building and then you see the doors for radiology. And then if you kept going, everyone knows where you're going. Because right. radiology uh. was like the last department mm -hmm. before Ward 21. That, that was the name of the, uh, the psych ward. Um, and it wasn't even attached, right? It's like you would get to radio radiology, you'd open the doors and you're outside and you're going through like kind of like a long passageway to get to the psychiatry, psychology wing of the hospital. So if you talk about stigma, just about placement. Yes the stigma there um, in and of itself, right? So you have people coming in that they don't want to, they don't want to walk through the hospital, don't want to even walk around, don't want people to drop them because of the stigma that people yes. would think like, oh, someone did obia on you. That's why you have to go. Or 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 right, or neighbor seeing you walking and talking to yourself like, oh, oh you're mad, you gotta go to war 21. So yes, that the idea of um of OB and everything, it's very much ingrained, especially within Afro-Caribbean culture, yes. of, of this being associated with being mad or with, with mental health. Mm -hmm. Right. So the changing the stigma is the is the having these com for me, it's the having these conversations to dismantle those fears so that you could have a true understanding of what mental health is. We have to start teaching people that mental health is not only one side of the spectrum. That's right. Right. We have to start teaching people that mental health in and of itself falls on a spectrum. You have you may have people who display um, outwardly um, of symptoms of paranoia and of delusions on one end of the spectrum, and you will have other people on the other side of the spectrum who are going through worries and anxieties and maybe panic, and then you have a whole heap of people in between. So we need to start teaching mental health from uh, from a continuum standpoint, as opposed to keeping it within the, the dualistic thinking, yeah, either right. really, 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 really um, scary things that we associate with maybe schizophrenia or, or hallucinations to to other things. Right? We need to start teaching the whole continuum of mental health so people can fully have an understanding. I truly believe without a understanding of where you are, who you are, and how your, your, um, your, I want to say brought up C, <laughs> right? Yes. Tell, it, tell it like it is. Tell it like it is. Yes. Yes. How your brought up C has shaped you. You're not going to have, you're not going to understand and you're not going to be able to change that stigma. If we can get to the place of not being so fearful of the judgment and the rejection, then we can open up and have these honest and open and authentic conversations around our own challenges, how we've got here so that we can start dismantling the stigma because every time someone tells their story it opens up and allows someone else to be comfortable to tell theirs so true so 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 true
Absolutely. Absolutely. So as we're starting to wind down a little bit, the one thing we would love to ask you and just get an understanding, let the audience know is where are you at now? We've talked about, you know, this, this journey that you've been on of, you know, personal and professional exploration and growth. Mm -hmm. And if we asked you, you know, where is Natasha Penny Cook now? What would you say? A, I love that. I love that. Love that question. Um, where is Natasha Pennycook now? <laughs> Natasha Pennycook is. Uh, I feel like Natasha Pennycook is always in transition. That's it. Always learning and always growing and always journeying. For those who follow me on social media, you know that I I, I usually say journeying with you because I am. I'm journeying. I'm transitioning. So it's always that opportunity to learn about myself to learn more and to go further and I think lately it's been the um the challenging myself challenging my own fears in ways that I've I haven't done before um the starting to recognize the things that have been hindering me from moving forward um I've done a lot in my life and in my career, but I always get the sense that there's more. And I think I've always been afraid of the more. So as I'm in this transition, part of my transition is not being afraid of the more or the what's to come. So um, where Natasha is now, Natasha is getting ready for the more. Oh, dear God. I'm looking out for that for true. I can't, oh, I cannot wait. Yes. <laughs> Natasha, as we wrap up, I'm gonna our last question, and this is this is what I call the fun question. Mm. So this uh this question originated. I was at work and I went to the water cooler and I saw they they had a sign and it said take one thing for your mental health. So they had these little words cut out. You know, back in the day when you, people used to say, oh, I can babysit, here's my number, and they cut it out in little strips and you can write mm -hmm. off a number. So that's yeah. what it was. And it's and it's different words that you can take for your mental health. So mm -hmm. I've used that con concept and incorporated into the podcast. And, I, mm -hmm. and I'm going to ask you this question of what is one word, one word that you can use to describe your journey? Huh. Um... That's a great question. One word to use to describe my journey. Um, I think my word would be healing. Mm, yes, right? I think my yes. word would be healing because, yeah, my word would be healing because it is, it's been a healing journey. It's been a healing journey for me. And the more that I start recognizing the fears that have hindered me or kept me stagnant or keeping me stagnant, stagnant, the more that I recognize that and the more that I can um, break that mold and not live by the fear, the more that I feel healed. Oh, wow. Right. The more that I feel healed, healed, the more that I feel that I'm going through this healing process, this healing journey. So I think for me, um, healing is my word yeah mm. healing i i love that and mm -hmm. and what came up for me actually uh, mm. as you said that as well mm. is is that you know 
once you start to release the fear, you truly start to step into your own power because mm-hmm. you know, you know exactly yes. who you are, mm-hmm. what you're capable of and mm-hmm. what you have to offer this world. So the minute you start right. to let go of that fear, that's yes. when you start to really take steps on that journey. If I, I look at it as yeah. sometimes you, the fear is like quicksand. So even mm. though even though you're trying to walk on that path or on that journey that's been laid out for you, mm. it's either you're going in slow motion or the fear mm. is just has made your feet stop. Sucking you back in. Sucking you in. <laughs> so, so, so what you do is once you start releasing that fear, it releases your feet out of the quicksand and you end up going on solid ground, which yeah. means that means you can actually keep on going on your journey which makes you a more powerful person because you now are just taking your steps. Fear is not, mm-hmm. you, the shackles of fear end up being removed. So that means right. you, you can walk freely, you can talk yes. freely, you can do yeah. whatever it is that you've been designed to do, yes. you can do it. Yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, that, that and, and that's where the healing comes in. Yes. That's where the and, healing comes and in. And I love that you, that you said, um, you're where are you now you're always journeying and that's what healing is it's a journey yeah. it's not linear it doesn't go straight no. you're always no. going through processes of healing yes. every time i think i'm yes. healing i'm done i'm like no it's it's such no. a beautiful hard hard mucky journey yeah. it's it's mm-hmm. but but the outcome all the time you're always it's so beautiful that transition is so beautiful yeah I tell my clients that I tell them as long as you're living and breathing you're going to be learning and you're going to be transitioning you're going to be journeying and you're going to be healing as long as you're living and breathing on this earth there's going to be movement to be made yes absolutely absolutely Absolutely. Natasha I have to yeah we have to Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time out to be on the Blind Stigma podcast. Thank you for sharing with our audience your personal and professional journey. I, I yeah. said, I've said this before, but I, I usually and I usually say this. I'll say it again. I see you. We see, see you, um, which means we know that you have greatness within you to continue to do the work in the community. We need you. The community needs you. Yes. So, you know, keep on doing what you're doing, Queen, because my goodness, you know, where God is taking you is going to is going to definitely boggle your mind. Amen. Thank Amen. you. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. Thank you for allowing me to to be here and to be vulnerable and to be open. This is amazing. And you both are doing some great, great work and definitely keep it up from from one queen to two others. Aww. I appreciate you both. You've reached the end of another episode of the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.